0: Our scripture reading this morning is from Mark chapter 8 verses 34 to 38 and Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 to 9. Mark 8 reads, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 to 9 reads... Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The word of the Lord. You know, a sign of uh, getting older is
1: um, uh, I've started to realize that I can't wear my glasses when I'm trying to read close. I used to be able to do that, and uh, now I can't. So um, I have to sacrifice one of two things. One, the ability to actually see what my notes are or uh, to see your lovely faces this morning. Sadly, I've chosen not to see your lovely faces, but uh, you are there. (laughs) One of the uh, values of our community is intergenerational ministry. Uh, What we mean by intergenerational, um, I hope to clarify perhaps in the course of uh, my sermon to you today. Uh, But I want to start off by suggesting to you that this value is incredibly hard to embrace and to live. Primarily because, as social scientists have pointed out, we are a culture defined by radical individualism. What social scientists, of course, refer to is that we are a culture in the West in particular who uh, live for the self. Uh, Our goals, our hopes, our dreams, our needs defines ultimately the agenda for life. And ultimately this kind of perspective of the self I think erodes uh, the gift of Christian community because it makes its way into the way in which we think about what it means to be a spiritual person. Uh, Radical individualism is uh, the idea that we are autonomous individuals with the rights to be and do what we think is primarily in our best interest and it is a very western and perhaps contemporary worldview. It is deeply embedded in our psyche and I include myself there, though born and raised in heaven as I like to refer to it, South Africa, Cape Town, Uh, here as a Canadian now, going on 20 years of being in this country, I think I have drank the juice along with many of you. That somehow, life is about me. You see, I think that this particular perspective is detrimental because when we live for numero uno, when we live for the self, we often do so at the expense of others. You see, there is a, a callousness that develops in our, in our society and in our life, perhaps even a callousness that is associated with such a lifestyle. It does not only uh, you know advance the self-agenda, but it also does so at the expense of others, and with it destroys our capacity to actually be in meaningful relationships in a church family like ourselves. You see, radical individualism says that we don't really need others, and it is upheld in so many parts of our culture. Our kids are bombarded with the images of a sexually charged culture that says, my body is my body, I can do with it as I please. Uh, Even in the sports we watch and pursue, and I am a huge sports fan. It can be golf, it can be bowling, it can even be curling. If that's on, I'll watch that before I watch a drama. Uh, there seems to be this perspective that the individual is, even in team sports, to be praised as being the one that makes things happen. There seems to be a a sense in which in the church perhaps, and I speak now very carefully but very honestly, that we have co-opted our spiritual lives to also now be about me. But I want to propose to you this morning that the Bible does not support such a view of life. When we read the scriptures in the Old Testament through to the New and when we listen to the very voice of Jesus Christ himself, we realize that even though, yes, it was a collectivist culture that the Hebrew people lived in and Jesus lived in, and even though we may be critical you know, in our thoughts about it and says, well, that was then, and we live in a different world, Stu, wake up to 2017 in the West. We are not a collectivist culture. It is important that you understand it is not a culture that Jesus is speaking of as the reason for us to live in a different way, but he is suggesting that we are actually incapable of living the life God has called us to live unless we are able to deny such a pursuit of life. Jesus puts it this way, if you want to be my disciple you must pick up your cross. The cross is a symbol of death of course, a a symbol that would define Christianity. We do not have as a symbol a fish or a dove, although those are used as well, but as a core symbol to our identity is this cross, this cross that begs us to come and lay down our lives that what opposes individualism is, in fact, the very message of Christian faith. You see, I don't think we can read the Gospels and find Jesus promoting a life that is self-focused or self-determined. He challenges anyone who would follow him to begin by giving up life in order that they may take on a renewed life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Lutheran pastor and theologian that opposed Hitler and was executed for such opposition, in a book called The Cost of Discipleship, uh, makes this statement. The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give our lives over. Thus it begins... The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him, or it may be a death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go into the world. But it is the same death every time, death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his call. See, the timeless message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it is not supposed to fit us with the gifts and graces that we need to live according to our agenda. But the call of the Christian gospel message is to actually give our lives entirely to the purposes and the will of God. Nothing stands more in the way of intergenerational ministry in our church than this radical individualism that has made us believe that we essentially don't need anybody else to live the life God has called us to. Nothing opposes opposes the kind of community that the Bible asserts is possible when people confess Jesus Christ more than people like you and me who have determined that what the world says is the way and the purpose in which to live is ultimately the reason we are Christian. There is a sense in which our Christian identity begs of us my friends to live into a new reality to live into not only that which is for my sake but that is for which is for God's sake and for the people that he has called us to. You see, it would be awfully depressing, and judging from the stillness here, you may agree, uh, that I would preach so strongly on denial. It is not something that I think we preach on much, because it's much easier to preach upon getting stuff, good things. But this is the beginning point of the life of faith. This is what it means to be a disciple. And the good news is, is that it is not the end of what it means to be a disciple. But you cannot get to the life that God has when you're trying to hold on to the life that you have. There is a very simple principle at work that it does not work when you're clinging to something. You have to let go in order to embrace the life that God has called you to. Now I can preach on many aspects of that new life in Christ. But I want to preach specifically on this aspect of community. You see behind the call to intergenerational approach to ministry is a strong call to abandon our self enablement, our self dependence, our self reliance and to admit that we actually not only need God in our life but we need others in our life to help us live faithfully the life that God has called us to live. When we become Christian, Christ makes us a part of something greater than just the self. And he invites us into dynamic relationship with him, yes. But that relationship enables us to be in community with one another in such a way that God is known through such relationships. Jesus says to his disciples, they will know who that you belong to me by the extent to which you love one another. And I can't say to you strongly enough how hard it is to preach on this, not because I think you're radically individual, people, but because I see how difficult it is in me to believe that ultimately my Christian life is not just up to me. And what is lost is the kind of spirituality that brings accountability, the kind of community that strengthens the faith of the believers, the kind of discipleship that grows and matures us, the kind of ministry to one another in which we care about the needs of those around us in our communities. What is lost is the gift that Christ brings to the church who have denied themselves and have developed a heart of God for his church and for his world. I think that it begins with who Christ is. It begins by recognizing that when we look to him and what he has done that he has come to serve and not to be served. That we are adopted into a family not just into a system of beliefs. You see, the South view of Western Christianity has wreaked havoc to our understanding of what it actually means to be in community. I hear this word all the time. It's almost become a curse word to me. We talk about it, but we don't really know what we're saying by it. We desire it, but we don't know how to access it. We long for it, but we do not have the time for it and as I stand before you a little bit perturbed at my own lack of accessing this I preach to you very honestly that I need you and you need me and we need one another in order to live this faith and anyone in this community that does not get that does not get what Jesus says about what it means to be Christian it's not just about me and my beliefs and my way to heaven but it is about the God who through others in relationship forms and shapes for him a. Collective witness to our world. I need you to be the man that God has called me to be. We need one another. And when we don't have this high view of what it means to be in community, when we withdraw from community, somebody suffers. When we do not participate in the life of the church, we detract from the witness of God. When we do not engage in the life of communal worship, when we do not participate with intention to grow in our faith, something is lost. There's an Old Testament reference to a young man that was instructed along with the people of God that when they raided the city not to bring any of the loot or plunder back to the camp but Achan steals some of the things that was there and he hides it in his tent under, in, the, in the ground and when it is discovered that he did so, he is punished and put to death, when we get over the shock in our western sensibility of such execution for what we consider to be not such a big deal, we kind of don't realize exactly what the Bible teaches consistently over and over again. That the actions of one has implications on community. That one person's perspective, one person's withdrawal, one person's sin affects and impacts the lives of other people. One person's Ignorance In how they go about their lives has an impact upon others. Listen, here's the worldview. I live for me and what I do is just my business. It's not hurting anybody. Here's what Jesus says. Absolutely everything you do, both in thought and in deed, has an implication. So live as I have called you to live. Wow, I'm hot under the collar this morning. <laughs> I'm reaching. I, I need you to help me. You know, I think this radical individualism has made our individual happiness, the purpose of our Christian life, has made our needs so front and central that we do not know how to be in a relationship where we can make room for others. You see, it's only the sufficiency of Christ that enables me to make space for other people. When I know that I'm okay in him, when I know that he takes care of me, when I know I I have a personal dynamic relationship with God, I'm able to actually be a lot more gracious with what God has given me. You see we celebrate communion with God not because we think it's just about us and prayer and having a nice unique spiritual experience. We celebrate communion with Christ because we realize that as we commune with Him we learn and we know in faith that He is sufficient unto everything that we need and it is out of such sufficiency that we can enter into relationships where we not demand from other people but our attitude is that we come to serve and to bless. You know many people desire community as a means to meeting needs but But Jesus would suggest that the only way Christian community actually works is if it operates out of who he is and what he gives to the church and out of that we give ourselves to one another for his glory. Such a community is very different to the forms of community that is out there. Perhaps it's even very different to the longings of our individual hearts. To become a Christian is to deny oneself in order to live in a different way. And when we do, and when we actually begin to do this, we begin to grow. You see, I don't think that we grow apart from one another. Uh, The Christian who believes that, you know, I can just kind of work this out on my own, I just need the Bible and Jesus and my right beliefs, forsakes the opportunity for the kind of relationships in which Not only are we encouraged and held accountable, but in which we are shown our need for Jesus consistently. You see, I think the moment you feel more inclined to go it alone, the moment I feel more inclined to go it alone, I'm setting myself up for failure. But what does all of this have to do with us here at Skyview today? I think it is a challenge from the Word of God, both in Deuteronomy, the Shema that says, Here, Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and then it goes on to say, Teach one another, encourage one another. Uh, there, there is a sense in which uh, community life is, is not just about potlucks and friendship, although I love both. I do enjoy getting together with you. I actually genuinely like most of you. No, I'm just kidding. That's my attempt at humor. I should, as the pastor, say I love all of you, but I'm speaking the truth. Uh, uh, got a bit of laugh, you know. Okay, yeah. uh, But it's, it's more than just this idea of, of, of tolerating one another or just meeting our need for friendship. Look, I, I have friends. Okay, I have one friend. And I I don't want to sound callous. I don't want to sound like I don't care about you. But I ask myself, what makes Christian community qualitatively different? And why is it that we need it? You have friends, and you should have friends outside of the church. Please, for heaven's sake, don't just have church people as friends. You're going to ruin yourself. We don't exist just to kind of huddle together and be protective and insular. But on the other hand, my friends, I ask myself, what does it actually mean to to embrace an intergenerational approach. You know, one commentator says it this way, you cannot have God as your father and not have a spiritual family comprising brothers and sisters. You see, I, I think to embrace an intergenerational approach to ministry begins with the way in which we die to our independence. It actually requires that you and I admit and confess that we need the prayers and support of others. It actually means that we become vulnerable, not with everybody, but with some, by which we can say, this is where I'm at. It actually means that we become more intentional in our community, uh, in our, in our community by asking one another the kinds of questions about how are we doing in our faith, how, what is God doing in our life, how can we support, how can we encourage, how can we mentor, how can we pray? What if some of us here, just as an act of stepping into the water with intergenerational ministry says, I'm going I'm to discern and pray about somebody in our community that God I want God to lay on my heart and mind, and I'm going to just, as an act of wanting to kind of live beyond myself, I'm just going to start praying for that person, encouraging that person, ministering to that person. Uh, You know, I don't know what, what form that can take, but what if we just kind of start to get this idea that we are actually here to play a meaningful role in the life of other people? What if the church, get this picture, okay, begins to kind of open its eyes to the people around it, and we start to become intentional? with one another in relationship, I can tell you this much, my friends, it will change, dramatically shift the dynamic of what happens here on a Sunday. And yet as I preach that, as I challenge us, I recognize that when we get out, we leave these doors, we are, we are just submerged in a worldview that says, Make it on your own. What would it look like for us as a church to uh, adopt a youth, (laughs) to uh, make time for one another in small group ministry? Uh, What would it look like to uh, perhaps slow down in some areas of our life in order to discern in this season of life, what God is asking of us. I always like my sermons to have a nice end, but there's no nice end to this one. It seems to me that at least as I've prayed about this, and I've prayed a lot about this, and I've, I've when I was preparing this, I said, Lord, I, I, I don't want to do the very thing I'm preaching again, is pray, I preach out of the needs that define me. I um, am very cognizant these days of how my past influences my present. The research I'm doing in the current degree I'm taking is focused upon how that perhaps uh, the, the, the links that are being made, for example, between the lack of diverse community uh, in my apartheid upbringing in South Africa has, has projected upon Stu Williams a deep desire to want to be with everybody and have everybody included. I like to think that God can use the brokenness and craziness of even apartheid to kind of do something good in someone's heart, but I want you to understand this is not just Stu's little soapbox for community. This is the hope of Jesus Christ for anyone who calls him Lord. And I confess to you that the kind of community we're talking about is not easy to maintain. It's not all sunshine and roses and we all sing happy songs and hold hands. It is the kind of community that demands a commitment that requires a patience, a willingness to love even when things are difficult, a willingness to speak truth, when we see somebody that needs it. A willingness to say not what can be done for me, but how can I participate and contribute. A willingness and a desire to serve out of the gifts that God has given us so that those who do not have may have. The kind of community that is only possible when we kneel at the cross. I think this is very hard for men. And it's very hard for me. I um, close with a reflection upon one of the times that I visited Manchester, and I was in the dormitory area in the kitchen area. There's a hustle and bustle, and it's an open kitchen, and it's about 20 students using the same kitchen, so you can imagine how messy it is and how how, chaotic it is at lunchtime. I met a gentleman uh, who was taking a course with me at the time, and uh, we had talked a little bit, and a lot of my past and experiences, he was fascinated by South Africa and the history and all the rest of it. And uh, we had stopped this very enlightening, serious conversation by the time we were in the kitchen. We were just kind of making our meals, which was really just peanut butter and, and toast. I usually lose weight when I go to Manchester, just, you know. And uh, he turned to me, and he put his, 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 both his arms on me. Now, it, it, didn't, it, it didn't help that he was a trained psychologist. I was constantly guarding my emotional baggage. <laughs> Like I don't want him to, I don't want to see my weakness. I don't want to see that my need. And he just put his, his hands on both my shoulders, and he just said to me, brother, he says, you need to know that if your dad was here today, I'm pretty sure he'd be proud of the man you've become. <laughs> now, I've got to tell you something. Look at me. I'm a strapping, solid, strong man. I'm an incredibly good squash player, too. (laughs) Just throwing that in there. You know, it it, it takes courage to leave home and house and to move to a country, (laughs) especially one that has sub zero temperatures. I consider myself in many ways to be strong, but those words seem to kind of just pierce through all the uh, the strength that I thought I had. And, and I, I, I embarrassingly today still admit that I began to cry in front of everybody as they were getting their lunch. <laughs> it was so embarrassing I mean I'm not just talking about nice polite tears like the way Ruthann cries you know just nice tears that roll actually just, just really nice down her cheek I'm talking about ugly cry you know just uh, heart wrenching and, and uh, I felt in the moment of his embrace a resistance in, within, within me to be vulnerable now it might be on account of there was many people around but I think it's deeper than that I actually think that, that, that I have lived so long thinking that I cannot be truly vulnerable. I cannot truly trust. I did not know how to respond to him. The rest of the week there, I was kind of, where is he? And I won't be there. You know, I, I, I didn't know how to quite respond to that. And, and I use that personal illustration to perhaps suggest, especially to us men, that I think we so desperately need the kind of community in which we can really just say this is who we are. We so desperately need the kind of community that, that can challenge us to be the men that God wants us to be. Uh, we, we need uh, not just men, of course, everyone here, but I think I speak as a man to men here today, uh, you know, to, to, to recognize that perhaps we have underutilized the gift of Christian brothers and sisters. And so for us, intergenerational ministry is not simply about showing our kids off in kids' minute. It's about recognizing that we need one another to be the people God wants us to be. I don't know how God will help us, um, but I pray that um, this would not be the end of what he perhaps is saying to us in this moment. And um, Kelly, as you come, and as I prepare to kind of finish um, in prayer, um, I really don't know what else to say. (laughs) But Would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you today for this church. No one here pretends to be perfect. We at least don't try to, but we admit to you today that it's very hard for us to go deep in relationships these days. The hope that you have for us is perhaps far richer than what we settle for. And the fear that keeps us from The vulnerability that leads to meaningful friendships and Christ-honoring ones is real. I pray this morning that by your Holy Spirit, you would enable within us that which only comes when we are able to say, there is more to live for. Father, would you be gracious to us as you have been? Thank you so much for your patience. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your grace. But Father, you have given us this great gift of the church. May we not forsake the gift. In Jesus' name, amen.